You're listening to Building the Broncos with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, Broncos Country's leading draft and scouting analysts. Get on over to milehighhuddle.com to sound off on all things Broncos. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I'm your host, Carl Dummler, and with me as always, I have my co-host and good friend, Mr. Nick Kendall. Nick, we are T-minus, hopefully, weather permitting, like three days away from actually seeing each other face-to-face for the first time. Yeah, that will be crazy. We actually do all these podcasts with the video feed cut off because it makes the the broadband better. Yeah, I guess it pulls less broadband, so we will see each other face face to face for probably one of the first times ever, not even virtually. So that'll be interesting. Um, hopefully you have that beard that I've seen on Facebook. If oh, not, I'm man. gonna be disappointed. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's gone. Man, you're gonna need it for how cold it's gonna be. <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> I'm really regretting this decision to shave. Yeah, that's uh, it's supposed to be high of thirty, and then it's looked like a low of almost single digits that Saturday night. So bring uh, bring your winter clothes if it does end up happening. But it'll be fun to watch the Iowa Hawkeyes play the Northwestern Wildcats, who look like they're going to be the team that wins the the Big Ten West this year, just because you know the way the schedule worked out and the Hawkeyes have kind of choked when uh, when they could have stepped up to it. And um, Iowa is actually a ten point favorite in that game, believe it or not. Kinnick though is a hard place to win, so. That's probably a big reason why, but it'll be fun. And we'll, if it does happen, we'll probably be doing a, a live Twitter feed as well. All right. Well, I'm excited about it. But I also want to let us know for today that Building the Broncos podcast is focused on all things pertain to your Denver Broncos as relates to the NFL draft. And of course, a lot of team building. With Nick and myself being armchair GMs, we'll be bringing you fresh insight and analysis each and every week and every single episode. From scouting the enemy, player value, scheme and personnel fits, and of course a little general football-related banter. You can follow myself on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH, as well as follow Nick at Nick Kindle MHH. Be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have because we live for talking Bronco football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers' written content at MileHighHuddle.com, a part of 24-7 Sports and an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital Network. We know your listeners are as football draft and Bronco crazy as we are. So please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without your listeners. So as a call to action, please go take the time and go to iTunes or Spreaker to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy our show. Now, before we get going, we first want to say thank you to our great sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Now, Nick, I know we're, we are on the, the bye week, which is always kind of a take a quick breath before things pick up again. But of course, we, we need to take a second and just look back at this last game. Heartbreaking loss, last second. A lot of things that just didn't seem to go the Broncos way. And uh, just a lot of unfortunately kind of a letdown going into the into the the bye week but that doesn't mean everything was terrible so are there some players that you would say we're we're doing our stock report right now what are some players that you thought had a stock up kind of game well we recorded our interview with brandon thorne who's going to be coming up we're going to insert that a little bit later so my stock up will go against 
I mean, not specifically in the game he's talking about, but go against what he talked about in this player. But I'm going to go with stock up for one player is Garrett Bowles. He went up against Judavian Clowney, who is arguably a top 10 defensive lineman, an edge rusher in football right now. And he's, you know, we saw him go up against Max Garcia and absolutely just obliterate him anytime he did that. But I thought Garrett Bowles held up pretty well against Judavian Clowney this week. And he did have that false start penalty, which was really unfortunate. And, you know, Garrett Bowles penalty per game that's that's the trend unfortunately but he didn't have a hold and he was doing well in the run game pass game so the the bar is pretty low but I'm gonna have Garrett Bowles as a stock up on this one another player stock up since Carl worked on the the outline for this week you got to take a couple of my guys that's okay but Derek Wolf I thought had a good game as well Uh, again in the run game dominating very well and I think Derek Wolf's having a season that Honestly, he's being underrated right now. I think he's probably the Broncos' best interior defensive lineman. Adam Gotsis is flashing as well, but Wolf looks as healthy as he has in a long time, and I'm excited about that. And then finally, probably I think the most misunderstood player on this Broncos roster right now as far as what he is asked to do and what his limitations are. You know, If you just accept him for what he is and what he does well, you really can start to appreciate his game, and that's Todd Davis. Again, another guy runs tougher more than anything, but he's playing that 3-4 defensive – or in inside linebacker so he doesn't have as much meat in front of him as say a 4-3 team does in base and he's still I mean he's dominating in the run game he does a great job coming in and filling in the gaps he's processing at a better speed than I've seen in a while I don't see him making many mistakes as far as he was earlier in the season with the play action going on and as far as filling and taking on blockers and then shedding them and making plays on the ball carrier Todd Davis is playing at a high level right now he's always going to be a guy who's limited as a a pass defender, you know, he's not Deion Jones out there as far as fluidity. He is a true box linebacker. He does have some pursuitability, but I mean, if you're asking him to turn his back to the line of scrimmage and go up against a wide receiver, which has happened with a couple zone concepts, unfortunately, that's good scheming by their teams. But if you're asking him to do that, it's not going to be great. But if you just appreciate him for being a base inside linebacker that can really come downhill and be a plus player against the run, then I, you can really start to appreciate Todd Davis. And I think he has, he's had a good game. And honestly, every single game since the the Arizona game, I think he's been playing better and better. And he actually looks like a guy who's a maybe even a bargain on his contract. That's, that's how high I'm viewing his game so far uh, since the Arizona game. Oh, very good list. Yeah. Sorry, I had to take a couple of years. I know. That's first okay. Come, first serve. That's, that's normally it's me. So yep. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I went with Bradley Chubb. This guy just continues to to improve week in, week out, and is is really becoming quite a star player. I mean, he, he's making more of an impact as a rookie than I thought he actually would. He's already at eight sacks after eight games, and he's on pace to break the rookie sack record. And and I know some of his sacks have been coverage sacks. I've had some people talk about that. I've always not as good a pass rusher. His numbers are a little inflated on some things, but but the Von guy Miller. just <clears throat> <Von Miller>. yeah. <laughs> but the guy, I mean, he just makes plays. He's made life a lot easier for Von Miller on some things. And he's just a, a firecracker on the field. He's showing up a little bit more in the run game. He's getting some tackles for loss. He's figuring things out. And he just he looks like a cornerstone player for the next hopefully 10 years for the Broncos barring injury. And so very, very impressed with his game. Can't wait to see where he ends up. And and it just surprises me how few people are talking about his rookie season. But number two, I have Case Keenum. Oh my gosh, we have him on the stock up list. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I mean, you look at, I, I, I saw this stat earlier 
If you look at his stats since the first Chiefs loss, he's completing 65% of his passes, 283 yards per game, has eight touchdowns to only four interceptions, and a 92 quarterback rating. That's not terrible. That, that's not that's not a guy that's showing I'm the absolute reason we're losing every single game. I'm not I, saying that he's going out there and winning every game for us because obviously we're not winning games, but but I also don't think he's the biggest problem that the team has right now. I do want to interject here real quick. Let me pull it up just to make sure I am 100% correct. But Case Keenum, you know, quarterback play across the league is up right now. I think that's a lot to do with the, the rules. I mean, just in general, the passing game is about as good as it has been in a long time. But this season, there are only two quarterbacks through every single game that have not finished with a quarterback rating above 100. So every single other starting quarterback in the NFL has had a passer rating of above 100. And those two quarterbacks are Case Keenum and Josh Rosen. So he, he did have a better game. I'm with you in that regard. But at the same time, I think the the bar needs to be compared against his other starting peer peers. Which I, I understand. But it, it's like I said, it's it's one of those... Compared to the the entire game, I kept messaging with people and I'd say, well, can't wait for Case Keenum's ill-advised interception. And he never did it. Yeah. And this is the Case Keenum I was kind of thinking that the Broncos would be getting that kind of control the game, but not be the elite athlete, not be the guy that can fit passes uh, in the, to the tight windows. I think you made a comment about there's one pass. Uh, was it Tim Patrick? Was it maybe the receiver? going down the sideline and he was between the corner and the safety and Keenum was late on the throw. And then he just didn't have the arm to get it there in time. And it should have been a huge completion. And it just, it wasn't there because he couldn't get the ball in time. And that's just part of his game. I mean, that's the the limitations that you have with, with having a Keenum on your team. But again, like I said, he had a better game. So I want to give him credit for where credit's due. And, and he actually made a red zone touchdown where he really squeezed one in. I, don't, I still don't know how he got that into Hireman, which is my third guy on my list. And even though Hireman had that big third down drop, beyond that, this man was a, he was a man among boys on the field. I mean, he was making people miss. He was throwing people to the side. This is everything you would hope that you'd be getting from your tight end week in, week out. It's just a matter of Hireman doesn't do this week in and week out. But still, I want to give him credit where credit's due. Had a great game, was offensive MVP by far. And uh, just uh, if he could keep doing that, the Broncos might actually have a tight end. I I don't expect that he's going to, but I'll I'll appreciate the one good game that he's had in his career. Yeah, that's been big. And of course, he's doing it just in time for him to hit the free agent market. (laughs) <laughs> but it's good. I mean, they need to get him more involved, and I'm glad that they finally are targeting the tight end because that's something that Keenum likes to do. So if you're going to help your quarterback, at least do what he's comfortable doing. Right. All right, well, well time for stock down. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I'll go first here for stock down since you went first for stock up. Uh, Max Garcia. Yikes. Oh, that was, that was bad. Really, I heard really that bad. he got adopted after this game. Officially, Judavian Clowney's son. <laughs> uh, he's going to be like Harry Potter locked in the closet kind of son because he's going to be embarrassed of him if anybody but, saw the the film article that I did I highlighted that mother of God look out for Jenny Van Clowney when he's that hovering linebacker and coming off because they isolate him against a garden when he does that 
he destroys guys. I mean, I was watching the the Houston and Jacksonville game, and Jacksonville made Andrew Norwell Norwell the highest paid guard in football. He's not the best guard in football, but he's definitely up there. And Jadavian Clowney sunned him like three times that game. And Max Garcia got sunned probably more than that. So, yikes, Max Garcia is deservedly on that list there. Definitely. Then Justin Simmons, he's just – he's been such a letdown. I mean, he was your – your dark horse to be that guy that really took that next leap and became one of the top safeties in football. And he just hasn't made it. I don't know if it's scheme, if it's coaching or if it's just, he just doesn't know what he's doing sometimes on the field, but there was a couple touchdowns in this game where he was out of position and you saw cornerbacks yelling at him going, what are you doing? You're supposed to be back. You're helping me. And, and he wasn't there. And then going to a cornerback, Tremaine Brock, he just, he was, he was picked on. Left and right, uh, wherever he was on the field, that's where they were throwing it to. It just seemed like so. Uh, that secondary, they need an influx of talent. They need an influx of coaching. I don't. It, there's a lot of things wrong with that secondary right now, and it's just frustrating when you have such a great pass rush when it gets destroyed by the back seven that can't cover. Yeah, and it's crazy. DVOA has the Broncos defense as the fourth best in football. And looking at the team, and granted, I think a lot of that is because they've played some pretty dominant passing offenses and they've held them to, you know, season lows. But looking at the roster, I mean, look outside of Chris Harris Jr., who in that secondary is played up to what you'd hope? Nobody. Nope. Nobody. So not great. I actually I have cornerbacks not named Chris Harris Jr. as my <laughs> stock down. And I think Justin Simmons, another one as well, that's disappointed me this year. I, I feel like, I don't know if it's the, the helmet rules that are being enforced this year. He was pretty adamant about those in the offseason, outspoken. And he just looks like a guy who's, he's been, honestly, it's not even the coverage that's been such an issue. It, it's not been great, but he's not been an open field tackler like he was before. I mean, he's always been kind of a skinny guy, but there was a play where it was an underneath tackle and he's not coming downhill. Instead, he looks like he's mirroring the dude who has the ball. Like, go make the tackle. I, I, I know you might be like afraid to, miss the tackle or something, but you can't be playing that passive in the open field against a ball carrier. So yeah, he's been disappointing as well. Uh, my stock down, like I said, cornerbacks, not named Chris Harris jr. Adam Jones as well. Not great. He looks old <laughs> in, uh, even in like punt coverage or kickoff return punt returns. He doesn't look great either. So ugh, not great. Uh, Brandon McManus, those two missed field goals. He should have made that 51 yarder. It was a bad snap as well, but I mean, he's just not been, clutch in his career i would say i mean not many i feel like he misses a lot of those ones where it's just like oh man adam minutary would have made that granted best <laughs> kicker ever but we're talking about that clutch gene and then finally stock down which also is a boss down for you coming up here but vance joseph there haven't been many games where you know you can put the point the finger almost squarely on vance joseph because there's been a lot of other issues going on it's like a boat where you put your finger in one leak and another one springs up that's been this season at least the past three seasons it seems like but this game wow horrible horrible clock management play calling etc it was just bad so stock all the way down for vance joseph very much so uh i just yep he he cost us that game (laughs) there's no way around that i mean he wasn't the only thing but booker's fumble and his clock management and play calling in the final two minutes of both halves boom nailed it that's what it would be all right well let's move on to our next segment because we really want to give you a lot of time to listen to our our guest speaker today because uh, he has a lot of knowledge drop on all of our fans, and we love it. But uh, we want to move on to our Ford Progress versus Loss of Down segment. And for Ford Progress, I I decided, I, again, I want to give shout-outs to the people who deserve it after a good game, even if they've had a bad season. 
and we had a good punting game. He had a couple really, really nice punts in this game that uh, 59 yarders that it was like, okay, this is what you should be doing. And, and especially Denver of all places, every single game, this should be a, a no brainer able to do every single week. If you're especially at home. And so it was nice to see finally a good punting game where actually it, it played a big part in the Broncos staying in this one and making them have to drive the entire length of the field. So very, very excited about that. Just need to see it moving forward. Can't be the worst punter in football after, you know, have one great week and then go back to being the worst punter in football. But uh, give him a shout out for this week. Hopefully it's a forward progress moving forward. For me this week, granted, it was the Houston Texans offensive line, but the pass rush, I mean, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb look like they're starting to play off each other. The interior pass rushers are getting home to Marcus Walker had some plays, although there's some debate on how effective he was. If he was just cleaning them up, Eric Trickle is going to have an article on that. And uh, if you know anything about me, you probably know my stance there. But the pass rush looking good, getting better. And I'm, I'm excited about that because outside of quarterback, getting after the quarterback is the next most important thing and winning a football game as far as roster construct. So moving on for loss of down another week, the Broncos do not win the turnover battle. That Booker fumble was actually the first turnover all season. That wasn't or the first turnover from the Broncos all season that case Keenum wasn't directly involved in either a strip sack or an interception. And man, it came at a horrible time. It resulted in seven points for the Texans and a short field really put the Broncos defense in an issue. Although they, they had a solid game, but man, two third downs in the red zone and they gave up a touchdown on both of those. That really, that really was unfortunate, but still solid game from them. But the turnovers, they Broncos lost the turnover battle one to zero. And while the pass rush is getting home, it's not resulting in turnovers for the defense right now. So just turnovers in general, that's trending down. And it's something that really needs to be corrected. If this team with its limited offensive firepower, right now is going to compete with the next stretch of games, which honestly, I know the Broncos had a, they were a bad team last year, so they're supposed to have an easier schedule this year, but really doesn't look that way. They got still have the chargers twice, the Bengals and the Steelers left. So those are, those are some pretty tough games. Granted, they also get the Browns and the Raiders and the 49ers, but still it's a, that looks like a three and four stretch down the way. If we're going to be betting on the lines and everything. Yeah. Well, my loss of down, you already mentioned it since you mentioned Vance Joseph, but the coaching staff in general, uh, the odds of them staying with the Broncos after this season is slim to none. You might have a couple of them that that carry over, as, as we've seen with a couple different coaching staffs. But uh, otherwise, I mean, Vance Joseph, the record that he has, the decisions that were made, some of the things said afterwards of, oh, I think our coaches are doing a great job. And no. There's a lot of things wrong. Players are now starting to speak out against this coaching staff. It seems like Demarius Thomas opened this floodgates for other guys on the team just to come and kind of speak their their piece on some of this. And it just it's a it's not a good environment. And I think we all know that. I don't blame Elway for not firing Vance Joseph right now because I mean it just puts more on the other coaches to have to pick up their pick up the slack if he's gone. And it's not really going to improve matters at this time, but it just, uh, it's kind of one of those, let's get to next off season kind of things because it just, it's not, it's not, the future is not on the Broncos right now, at least when it comes to coaches. All right. Well, before we get to the interview with Brandon Thorne, I have to tell you about my bookie. 
Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard me talking about this for weeks now, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600 cash. There's so much to bet on at MyBookie. College basketball and football, NBA, NHL custom props, even esports, you name it. MyBookie is one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years, they've got great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they're giving away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as the new odds and props are posted. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BRONCOS100 and get the 50% deposit bonus today. That's promo code BRONCOS100. That's promo code BRONCOS100. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, Broncos country. All right, well, we are very excited on the Building the Broncos podcast today to be joined by Brandon Thorne on Twitter as at Veteran Scout and one of the better football draft tape analysts out there on Twitter, on social media right now. I mean, he covers a lot specifically as it pertains to trench football, the offensive line, the defensive line, et cetera, et cetera. And just wanted to get different voices on here, get different experts on here, because I know Carl and I, sometimes we can get a little bit rambling, so it's good to get some other perspective on here. So Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, guys, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, first, before we get going, tell us a little bit about yourself. What brought you to this point? I know you have uh, you've served. Thank you for your service. You know, Veterans Day coming up, and uh, you know, tell us about your football journey. Yeah. So I I left the military in uh, 2014, at least active duty, and then I went into the guard um, until 2016. But really, 2014, the end of that year is when it started for me. You know, I left active duty. Um, to really pursue a career in football. And I was fortunate enough to link up with Ted Sundquist, uh, mm-hmm. former general manager of the Broncos. And uh, he's a fellow Air Force veteran. He kind of took me under his wing and um, taught me a lot about scouting. And I joined his website at the time, The Football Educator, started a podcast with him, went to the Senior Bowl on his behalf, and really uh, just learned as much as I could from him. And then from there, I linked up with Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy, took a, a couple courses through their um, you know, organization, and then also got brought on staff after I was done, got invited to the Senior Bowl on their behalf as well, and just really started to network. I had always wanted to be an NFL scout, uh, interviewed with an NFL team a couple of years ago. Um, I've kind of ventured away from that a little bit, but still I'm open to it. But, you know, scouting is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And, and, you know, since the Scouting Academy, it's just kind of been one thing after another. I've really tried to build a niche in offensive line play because, you know, as I joined social media, especially Twitter, I realized there was, you know, a need for it. There just wasn't a lot of people talking about it, shedding insight on it, you know, hardly any video on it. There's just a lot of things that were, you know, going unseen at the position and not talked about. So that's kind of why I built my niche there. And I had some experience in high school and stuff playing. And I had always really loved line play in general. So I figured that was a good place to go. So since then, a lot of people in the offensive line community, you know, I've really tried to pick their brain and just, you know, approach it 
you know, like I, you know, just needed to learn as much as I could. And guys have been good to me, you know, Charles Bentley, Duke Mannyweather, you know, a couple other guys, former coaches, you know, they've all just kind of taught me, you know, a lot of what they see and, you know, how to play the position and things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am now. And I'm, you know, continually just trying to learn from, you know, guys out there that know a lot more than me. And, um, but yeah, I love offensive line play and, and shining light at it. Cause I, I just feel like still, even today, it just doesn't get enough recognition, but I think we've come a long way in the last few years. I get so triggered online, you know, mad online, hashtag mad online when the offensive line does well, you know, not a peep about them, but when things go wrong, it's always the offensive line's fault. It seems like, you know, yeah. so <laughs> really excited to have you on here. Just get a little bit more insight and make not only the listeners a little bit more intelligent when it comes to offensive line play as, as it pertains to the Broncos, but also, you know, Carl and I as well. Yeah. The first player that we want to talk about is an unfortunate one in this regard because he is out for the season. And that is Broncos center, Matt Paradis. And he injured his, uh, fractured his fibula, unfortunately, and he's going to be placed on IR and done for the season. And before that, he had 3,850 consecutive snaps to begin his career. He did start, start his first season on the practice squad, but he's been a really consistent piece for this Broncos offensive line. And I would argue the, the strength of the entire unit. And it's, it's unfortunate to see him go down, but still, he's still a Bronco. There's going to be talks about him in the future this off season. So it's, it's important to kind of dig into what he does well and what he brings to the table and, you know, his overall value. Yeah. So Paradis is a guy I've been, you know, on, you know, saying that he's underrated really since his rookie year, or you know, 2015 when he started playing. And I really noticed him at first that season with, you know, what he did in the zone run game. And from there, you know, from that 2015 season, I just think he's improved each year. I think he's, you know, definitely a top 10 center. Um, you know, he, at certain points, he's, you know, been a little higher than that. I don't think he's in, you know, the tier one of the position, but I definitely think if you're, you know, right below that, still one of the, you know, better starters in the league at the position. Like you mentioned, you know, had a missed a game since 2015 and hasn't missed a snap either. So, you know, just a reliable guy. Uh, just, I would agree also with your point of him being the strength of the unit. You know, for me, you know, uh, with Paradis, I think is, you know, technically sound, very technically, very technically sound, excuse me. Uh, I think he's equally effective in the zone and, you know, power gap schemes in terms of his technique. Uh, you know, not the strongest or biggest guy or most athletic guy, but definitely a, a very technically sound guy. And I think that's where he wins, you know, hand usage, leverage, pad level, you know, taking proper angles, um, just very efficient guy you know somebody who's also who i've talked to several times as well um just a, a guy who really loves to work loves you know the, the grind of the position and i think you can kind of see that in the way he plays the game but also you know just how durable and consistent he's been so you know it sucks that he you know got hurt um and he's out for the year you know the fact that he's a upcoming free agent as well makes it a little bit more interesting but i think he's somebody you definitely have to bring back you know, he's, he's the best player on the line, you know, easily the best addition that, you know, this, you know, made to the offensive line since he was, you know, drafted, I believe in the sixth round. But yeah, I mean, since, since he came on board, you know, I think he's definitely been the best guy. So, you know, and then I think he's going to be 29 years old, you know, week one of next season, if I'm not, you know, um, wrong on that one. So, 
you know, still plenty of time, you know, to, to contribute to the offense, you know, four or five, six, you know, quality years, hopefully in him. And yeah, it, to me, he's a no brainer. I'm bringing back. What kind of, so you mentioned he wasn't a, a tier one center. What centers would you have above him? Because pro football focus, I know there's some debate on their grades, you know, subjective, not always the same people grading everybody. But he's always, I mean, I feel like if he's not the number one rated center in pro football focus, he's two or three. And that seems like that's been the case for the past, gosh, three seasons. So what guys would you have ranked above him? That, that was the exact question that I was about ready to ask too. Yeah, I'm not a, you know, I don't really pay attention to their rankings, so I can't speak to that. But um, as far as, you know, when I look at the traits, uh, I would put easily Travis Frederick is the best center in the league, in my opinion, um, just does it all. I mean, uh, elite play strength, um, elite competitive toughness. Um, he's not an elite athlete necessarily, but he definitely plays with, you know, very good play speed. You know, I think he's the least athletic center, at least, you know, when he played. Uh, last year in the last couple of years, I believe he was the least athletic center by the combine standards in the NFL, but he was one of the best second level pulling offensive linemen in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, just so he's a very, very smart player, uh, just no weaknesses in his game whatsoever. So I think for sure, you know, without question, he's tier one. Um, I would put Jason Kelsey in that list, uh, yeah. you know, in terms of being an elite guy in the run game in space, he does things that, you know, just are really special. You know, when I look at Paradis, I don't see anything that he does really special in terms of traits, um, but he does a lot of things really well. So guys like that just aren't, you know, tier one in my mind. Um, but another guy I would put in there is Rodney Hudson. That guy's been outstanding the last like three or four years of his career. Um, does everything, you know, very well. But I also think mental processing with that guy, he rarely ever makes a mistake. He's also very good in space. Um, just can do add a lot to your offense, um, in my opinion. So those three guys, you know, off the top of my head for sure. Um, and, you know, tier one, you know, when you're talking about elite guys with, you know, several elite traits, you know, especially, you know, critical factors, you know, there's five critical factors that I look at for all positions. Um, but with offensive line, it's competitive toughness, play strength, play speed, athletic ability, and mental processing. And, I, you know, if you are – you know, very good or elite in more than one of those things. Generally, I think, you know, you're at the top of your position. And, um, you know, so with with that kind of in mind, I think those three guys have really been the elite guys the last few years. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other guys. I, I think that would probably be tier one. And then after that, you know, I think it you could start talking about Paradis and with, you know, the Pounceys. Brandon Linder, maybe? Um, maybe, yeah. He's... Uh, he's definitely good. Um, I, I haven't, you know, I'm certain. And the thing is, you know, with my exposure, obviously I don't watch every snap of every guy, but there's certain guys that I do watch every snap of, you know, Travis Frederick, I haven't missed a snap in probably three years. Um, Jason Kelsey, I haven't really missed a snap. Um, this year I have, I've missed actually week six, you know, on pretty much week six across the league. I haven't watched, but um, for the most part, I've seen every snap of Kelsey the last few years, Hutz in the last few years, you know, Linder, I haven't seen like every snap of him, you know, by any means I've seen probably like, you know, six, seven, eight games or something like that. So I can still, you know, talk about him and stuff, but I, I never saw anything that would, um, you know, signal to me that he's in, he's probably close. I know he's an ascending guy. So, you know, we could maybe be talking about him a little bit more this year. Um, I would need to look at the teams, honestly, I can, 
you know, just to come off the top of my head on some guys. Um, the top paid guys right now in the league, as far as average per year, are obviously guys who were recently paid, but Ryan Jensen from the Buccaneers, Brian Linder's number two, Weston Richburg with the 49ers, Jason Britt, and then Alex Mack. Yeah, Alex Mack is definitely somebody you could talk about tier one. This year, you know, when I've watched him, you know, I, I think he's had some problems with his anchor this year, at least early on he did, um, which is uncharacteristic of him. But in general, I think Mack is definitely probably definitely a tier one guy over the last two seasons, you know, maybe two, three seasons. Um, this year, I'm not, you know, totally sure on him. But um, Mack is definitely somebody I probably put right after Hudson. And then, you know, a lot of these other guys, um, I think Elfline is definitely, you know, one of those guys you have to talk about. Max Unger has been good for a long time, even though he's older now and, you know, doesn't really have the, uh, the movement, you know, ability that I think he's had in the past, but Unger's a very technically sound guy. I, I think, you know, the highest paid guys, I mean, I, I like the guys that we've talked about so far more than, you know, Jensen and, um, you know, Linder. yeah, more than even Linder. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, Linder's an ascending guy that I like, you know, it's just, I, you know, to, to tier every guy right now, you know, I'd have to, you know, probably take a little bit more time to do it, but we'll get you back in the off season. Once you get all those grades in. Yeah, I would, I would <laughs> love to do that, but I just don't have that available off the, off the top of my head, unfortunately. That's all good. All right. So you heard it here. Brandon Thorne thinks Matt Paradis is probably worth a big contract. And that probably means, I mean, obviously depending on injury, but given the last two contracts for centers, Ryan Jensen and Brandon Linder, we're talking in terms of 10 million plus a season. So that's a, that's a lot of dough. Luckily the Broncos created some cash with the DT trade. So they'll have some money and I don't think they're going to be bringing back Bradley Roby. So maybe Paradis is going to be a guy that rises to the top of the re-signing priority this season. But moving on to another offensive line guy here, the probably the the most maligned player on the offensive line for the Broncos. It's a, been a position of a lot of penalties and woes from Broncos fans watching the game, and that is former first-round pick Garrett Bowles coming out. He was the 20th overall pick and the first offensive lineman taken in that 2017 class, and he had you know a lot of warts coming out that was considered not a great offensive tackle class, and you know even there was other guys like. Cam Robinson, who's unfortunately out with an ACL injury this year, who's been up and down with the Jags, but you know, there's there's tools there. And then Ryan Ramchek, who hindsight's 2020, a lot of the Broncos fans and maybe the Broncos themselves are wishing they'd taken that guy instead. But we're gonna focus on Garrett Bowles. And you've I've seen some tweets from you highlighting him from even back in his Utah days. So I'm curious about your thoughts on Garrett Bowles, what he was coming out, um, whether he was worth that pick and issues currently and projections going forward. Yeah. So Garrett Bowles, um, I wrote a full scouting report on him actually when I was with inside the pylon and we ranked, you know, the offensive line, offensive guard centers. He was our third offensive tackle in that draft. You know, we had Cam Robinson, Ryan Ramsick above him and Taylor Moten below him. But, um, Garrett Bowles, you know, coming out, I think, you know, when you looked at his tape and you looked at his, you know, profile as a player, I think, you know, the, the big things were, you know, he had the length, you know, that you wanted the size in general, a little undersized, you know, um, in terms of weight, somebody that I thought would need to, to definitely gain some weight, develop some, you know, increased strength in his lower half, you know, cause one of the biggest tr- uh, concerns for me coming out on him aside from technique, which I, you know, gave him the lowest grade of all the traits I graded of him. And for the inside the pylon, you know, draft guy, we had our own grading scale and everything. And we graded, it was uh, nine different traits, you know, for each guy. So the lowest 
graded trait for him was form and technique. And I gave him, you know, the lowest grade on that. And I think, you know, we've kind of seen that um, play out. And, you know, one thing, well, let me just finish on some of the positives. You know, I think the, the arm length, you know, 34 inch arms, he was very athletic. You know, his athletic ability, I think, was probably the best thing that he had going for him um, on tape. And I think his competitive toughness was was excellent as well. He was somebody who consistently finished blocks and played with that, you know, chip on your shoulder type mentality that you want from offensive linemen. So just having athletic ability, toughness, you know, and pretty decent size, you know, those things were very intriguing. Um, but the things that were very concerning were technique, play strength, and mental processing. You know, his ability to, you know, carry out his assignments, recognize things, you know, decipher, you know, complex blitzes, um, you know, block the right guy and, you know, in the running game in terms of releasing off double teams at the correct time, overtaking at the correct time, you know, different things like that. So he was um, a guy, you know, in my summary portion of the report basically said he had a very high ceiling and a very low floor, you know, kind of a boom busk type of guy. Um, and I gave him a second round grade, you know, which, you know, in hindsight was, you know, too high. Um, I'm glad I didn't go first round, but, you know, still second round was, you know, still too high probably at this point. Um, but he's a, you know, a comp kind of a complicated case right now, you know, when you're looking at him as a player, because the things that I've heard, um, in terms of, you know, willingness to adapt his technique and, you know, some work ethic things I've heard um, serious concerns about. So that I think is maybe hindering him, you know, in terms of, you know, developing his technique a little bit, um, which is really unfortunate because, you know, having the athletic ability and that, you know, toughness that he plays with, if he could, you know, develop his technique to even a solid average level, I think you have a pretty good player. But it's just, if anything, has regressed. You know, it's just, you know, his ability to get to his spot in pass protection is not good. You know, he's consistently undersetting, oversetting guys, and that's causing him to lunge and grab. And, it, you know, it's just, just not good. You know, and then he hasn't really, you know, developed his, you know, his play strength a whole lot. But I think it starts with technique with him. His technique just is just not good at all. And I don't foresee it improving based on what I've heard about him so it's just it sucks man I mean you know because the Broncos have consistently you know just failed at what they've done on the offensive line you know they finally you know uh, spend a first round pick on a guy you know and bowls and it just and it doesn't seem like it's going to work out so yeah he's just you know he's been disappointing and he was a really tough evaluation for me because of the things that I'm mentioning you know like the really good balancing the really good with the really bad what can be developed what can't um, you know, and what I, in, part, in my summary on him as well, I said, you know, like this is a guy that needs to go somewhere with an offensive line environment that is, you know, renowned, you know, somewhere that the, you know, there's an offensive line coach who has an, is a known developer. You know, you think of the Steelers, the Redskins, you know, Bill Callahan, Mike Munchak, um, you know, Dante Scarnecchia, guys like that. Like he needs to go somewhere like that. And when he went to Denver, I just, you know, I wasn't super excited about that because, you know, obviously the offensive line situation here has been very bad for the last, you know, three, four years. So, yeah, it's not a great environment for him. And at the same time, I haven't heard good things about him, you know, in terms of work ethic and, you know, willingness to adapt and, you know, get better. So, yeah, it's he's just been disappointing, I think. That is very frustrating. Oh, go ahead, Carl. I was just going to ask, would a move inside help him at all with that technique issue at all? I don't think so because, 
you know, a guard, I think your hand usage has to be very good because things happen so much quicker. Your hands are, I think, more of a factor inside than even at tackle because, you know, your hands are getting on guys so quickly. So your placement, the timing, um, your grip strength, um, but also your base has to be very good. You have to play with great balance. You know, um, also play strength, I think, becomes a little bit more important inside. So none of the things that he's good at, um, I think, you know, really, you know, the athletic ability piece. I'd love to see him, even though I watched the game last week and he, you know, he pulled, had a, he had a really nice pull last week where he kicked out a corner. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see some of those things more, you know, um, getting him in space, pulling, you know, because those, those are the things that he excelled at at Utah. They ran a lot of pin pull at Utah. Um, I'd like to see him do more of that because in line, that type of stuff, he's just, he doesn't really have that precise, you know, footwork um, and hand placement and things like that to really succeed in that area. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I don't think guard would fix him, unfortunately. Well, that's that's too bad, especially um, another issue moving to right tackle is having to learn that technique, but having to do everything with the opposite hand. So yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a scary times for Garrett Bowles. For me, watching him, the biggest frustration is that I feel like he starts games okay technique-wise, and then once something goes wrong, he abandons that technique and just reverts immediately back to old habits, and that results to getting beat both outside and across his face, and yeah. that then re- results in penalties. Yeah, a lot of ugly penalties this year for him. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's keep moving along here with the offensive line, and uh, here's a guy that's – a lot of Bronco fans had no clue what in the world was going on with the coaching staff. And that was Connor McGovern. A lot of people thought this guy was really coming into his own this season. And then the coaches decided to, to bench him. Yeah. So is there something that us as fans are missing or is it just the coaches made a huge mistake of thinking that he was one of the major problems on the offensive line? Yeah. You know, that was kind of surprising to me, you know, as well, especially because there wasn't necessarily anything behind him that got me excited in terms of, you know, know, backups or whatever. So I, yeah, that that was surprising to me and I don't have a whole lot of insight into, you know, their decision-making process on that one, unfortunately, but, you know, from what I saw on him, you know, he was a guy I didn't really watch coming out of Missouri. So I, you know, I wasn't really familiar with him. Um, so this year when I, you know, watched him for the first time, I was like, man, you know, we, we have a guy here who's, you know, playing pretty solid. I think, you know, especially in the run game, you know, somebody who, you know, is able to generate some movement at the point of attack uh, plays with, you know, good play strength, I think. And, you know, really, really like his competitive toughness and the way he plays the game in terms of his you know mentality on the field and, you know, the way he finishes blocks and stuff like that. So just that alone for me, you know, especially considering with what Broncos have had at the offensive line lately, um, that to me was enough to be encouraged about and to, you know, see what they had there for the rest of the year, you know, you know, for all the reasons I just mentioned. So, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. I was taken back by that for sure. I didn't really understand it. I know he didn't have a great game the week prior to him getting benched. Um, Leonard Williams killed him. Yeah, pass protection, you know, is definitely somewhere where um, he's he's not a well-rounded guy, I would say, you know, necessarily. And, you know, his pass protection doesn't match his run blocking yet. Um, but I, I think that that is definitely the harder aspect in a lot of regard and in, in, in a lot of regards because of the quality of competition on the interior defensive lines right now in the NFL is outrageous. 
I think it's the deepest position in the NFL. So, you know, when you're facing the quality of athletes and the quality of players that you see on the interior defensive lines on a week to week basis, you're getting, you're just going to get beat in pass protection if you're inexperienced and, you know, you're, you're just, you're new, you know, and don't have a lot of, uh, you know, time at the position. So those are just lumps that I was willing to take, you know, you know, just kind of, you know, from a, outside perspective on McGovern, um, you know, and just hope that, you know, coaching and, you know, correcting things in the film room and stuff, you know, you, you would see the improvement, you know, as the year went on, but to bench him, you know, as quickly as they did, I don't, I don't know. It just seems kind of, you know, odd to me, maybe a little bit of an overreaction, but, you know, I'm glad he's, you know, back in and getting playing time now. And, you know, we saw him at center a little bit last week and, you know, maybe he has an opportunity to play center a little bit, you know, moving forward. I think that's interesting. Um, right now, I don't, you know, you don't have anything to lose. I mean, if, you know, I was just thinking about this before we get on the call, like what would be, a, you know, the, the most exciting lineup for me to see at the offensive line? And, you know, for me, I, I would like the idea of trying him at center. And, you know, for me, Billy Turner before this season, I always thought of him as a guard, never as a tackle um, you know, I know he has played okay at times a tackle, but I'd like to see him, you know, at right guard and just Valdir at right tackle and just see kind of what you have there for a little while. But we'll see. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but that seems to me like it could be intriguing at least. I agree. I agree completely. That's I think that's what I would roll out as well, although I do have some interest in Elijah Wilkinson and on the practice squad as well, Andreas Knapp, maybe getting some snaps as well because – Let's be honest, where the Broncos are at right now, it's evaluation time. Yeah. Yeah. Knapp was a guy that was really intriguing coming out. I, I heard a, he really struggled to pick up playbook and stuff like that when he was in Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the physical tools there are very intriguing with a guy like that. I think he's a, you know, a guy from out of the country. I forgot what country he's from, but Denmark. Yeah, so not a whole lot of experience playing football. So maybe, you know, over time he can pick up things a little quicker. So intriguing. And I actually like uh, Nico Fala from uh, USC. He's a guy, a project guy, you know, definitely like, you know, priority free agent, seventh round pick type of guy that I like, though, you know, coming out of USC, I I evaluated him, um, you know, when, when he was at USC a little bit and just a very athletic guy, but his frame was really impressive. I thought he could add some weight, uh, just definitely the frame and athletic ability and what he could do in the zone run game. I thought were intriguing aspects of his game, but pretty far away. And in, in a lot of other regards, like, you know, play strength was, you know, nowhere near where it needed to be. So I don't know if he can get to an adequate level with that, but yeah. So there's some intriguing guys. I mean, at this point, yeah. I mean, you might as well give, you know, try some of these guys out, you know, so I agree with that. You don't got anything to lose, but more games and that just raises you up the draft board. So <laughs> we'll see about that. And the final guy specifically on the Broncos that I want to talk about is Ronald Leary. Broncos paid him a pretty good contract when he came over two seasons ago and he's played pretty solidly. I mean, he's not a top five, top 10 guard in the NFL. That's fine. But now he's been injured. He tore his Achilles and he's an older guy. And the reason he went undrafted, a lot of people thought he was going to be a second, third round pick coming out of Memphis but they discovered a degenerative knee issue with him. So there's questions about his health going forward, and he's definitely one that I could see being a a cap casualty, which, I mean, you don't want the Broncos' offensive line to get worse because it's already been an issue this year, especially with pass protection. But at the same time, an older guy 
big contract with injury concerns, it could be a guy that's, you know, moved on from if they, if they keep him, that he's 9.375 million against the cap. But if they release him this off season before the June 1st, uh, June 1st deadline, it's, they would save 7.625 million. So what are your thoughts on Leary worth bringing back? Or is it somebody that you think, you know, cap wise and everything that might be, might be better to move on from? I would love to see him brought back, you know, maybe if he could, you know, if he's willing to you know, maybe restructure his deal or something like that, you know, I know that cap hit, you know, is, is a little high for somebody with his injuries and his age, but I've been a bigger Leary fan than most, you know, since his really since his 26, 2016 season in Dallas and even 2015, I, you know, is when I, I noticed him initially, but I watched him more 2016, 2017 and this year, but yeah, injuries, you know, and the age are definitely valid concerns at the cap that he's at, the cap hit that he's at next year. But um, when you look across the landscape of left guard play in the NFL, I think that he's better than he's he's better than a lot of left guards. Um, yeah, I would say he's better than at least you know fifteen of the left guards in the league. So you're, you're talking about you know a top half left guard in in the game um, on an offensive line that has a lot of weaknesses. Uh, if you bring back Paradis, I would really hope that Leary's there as well, because then you don't have to replace four positions. Yeah. Uh, I'd really like them to only have to, you know, look at maybe replacing two or three as opposed to three or four. So I would hope that they do everything they can to bring back Leary for another year. You, you know, he, he played right guard last year, never played that position before. Um, I thought he performed admirably at it considering how uncomfortable he really was at that position, um, which, you know, I don't think he really let on a whole lot, but he was very uncomfortable. A lot of talk. He was pretty irritated about that. Oh, when I heard yeah, I've, I've spoken to him uh, personally about it uh, several times for him to do that. I thought was, uh, you know, a pretty, you know, just good thing to see from an offensive lineman, which most offensive linemen, I guess are like that, you know, they're pretty unselfish. So that was cool to see. And, um, you know, just, I would like to see him at left guard again and just to get another shot, you know, at, at uh, you know, staying healthy and playing. So if they could somehow restructure, that'd be great. Cause you know, I, I just don't want the offensive line to go into another off season, you know, having to replace three, four positions. And you have a guy who I think, you know, you can make an argument when he's playing at the top of his game, which, you know, at times we've seen that the last couple of years, um, you know, is a top 10, top 12, you know, at worst top 15 guard left guard in the league. So yeah, I I'm a, I'm a fan of Larry and I think that you, they can, they, they should work hard to, to figure out what they need to do to get him back. When it was, it was tough this last week watching Garcia at left guard, just get destroyed play after play. I mean, they, they sent yeah. Clowney after him almost every single time. And it was, it, it yeah. just got scary for right the quarterback. Especially him. <laughs> Yeah, Clowney, honestly, Clowney should be playing more three tech in that. I mean, they do it a fair amount, but man, anytime you isolate him against a guard, watching the film, I mean, getting into this, it's games that match. He's a freak. Oh, yeah. They they really started doing that last year under Rabel, and it was so much fun to watch last year. He was just, and doing the same thing this year, but yeah, he, he plays everywhere, and I love the way they use him. Just kind of, I call it like a lurker. You know, he's just lurking around back there playing linebacker, and he just picks a gap and goes to it. So he can do A, B, C, D gap. It doesn't matter. He's 
yeah, he, he's just, he's special. So, but yeah, Garcia is, you know, below average at best. So when you have special versus below average, you know, it's going to go how it went. <laughs> oh yeah. That was, that was scary. Yeah. Well, you, you yeah. talked about the Broncos possibly needing to replace a couple guys this next year. Looking yeah. at the, the 2019 free agent group, and, and I'm guessing some of these guys will probably get re-signed by their teams just because offensive line, trying to find the right guys, it, you, you do what you have to do. They get over, not overpaid, but I mean, they... Demand is they high. Paid, they, they get paid pretty good in free agency. But yeah. uh, is, is there any guy in the 2019 free agent class that really sticks out that you think Broncos really need to push hard to, to go get that kind of guy? I, I guess we can start with tackle. And for me, the best tackle in the free agent class is Juwan James. Uh, somebody who I've heard, I've seen some people on Twitter talk about him like he's not good, which I don't, I don't understand that at all. I think he's a good starting right tackle in the league. Um, somebody who I would love to see in Denver, um, you know, just to have a good starter at right tackle would be, you know, that would be incredible for Broncos fans. I think we haven't had a good start at right tackle and, I don't know, in 2014, maybe, maybe even before that. I don't know. So Ryan Harris, when he was opposite Ryan Clady. Yeah. Before Ryan Harris, <laughs> really bad. Yeah. 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 I, I know the Broncos really like him. They tried to trade for him and we're yeah, I remember really that. close to getting something done. So maybe, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that too. So, you know, prior interest. So maybe, you know, Juwan James can come over. That'd be excellent. Um, but yeah, so you know, in the tackle class, that that guy for me stands out more than anybody else. I don't, I'm not really interested in anybody else except I would definitely mention uh, Ty. You know, and this may, might be wrong, Neshki from the Redskins, somebody who I've been kind of pounding the table for to be a starter for the last two years. You know, since I watched him in 2016 against the Packers um, play for Trent Williams. I mean, ever since then, and every time he's come in. Last week, I posted a video on him. I mean, I was, you know, studying him last week at left tackle. He played left tackle the first two and a half quarters, played left guard the rest of the game, and he was excellent at both. Having somebody like that, you know, even though he's 33, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. You know, he's played all over. He's played in, I think, two or three different football leagues. Um, you know, he he's never really been that full-time starter. You know, definitely kind of a stopgap kind of guy. You know, he signed for two, three years or whatever, but – um, you know, you could put him at left tackle. He's better than Bowles. Um, and maybe try Bowles at right tackle before you get rid of him or just sign him, you know, as utility offensive lineman or sign him and play him at right tackle. That doesn't matter to me. So I think Juwan James and, and Neshke, to me, are the, the, the most appealing guys at tackle. And, and, and at guard, you know, most of these guards are left guards, you know, that are free agents. But so that depends, you know, if they don't keep Leary. I, I don't really think any of these guys were up be upgrades over Leary. I mean, maybe Saffold, but, you know, I, he has an extensive injury history as well, even though he's playing really well this year. I, he's a guy I've been a big fan of, though. So, I mean, you know, you look at Saffold, uh, Ramon Foster, Quentin Spain. Those are probably my top three guys, you know, that I like in that free agent class. And DJ Fluker, you can mention him as well. So there's some guards, you know, out there. And with – you know, from what I've heard, you know, from the people that I really, you know, trust in the in the draft side of things, that this is a very weak interior offensive line class. So the guard class, you know, to have in my mind, there's, you know, four or five guys here that could start, you know, who I'm intrigued with. So, yeah, I mean, maybe the Broncos can draft a tackle and sign a tackle and sign a guard, you know, because uh, Valdir, Garcia, Paradis are all free agents. I say you just let go of two of those three and just keep 
you know, paired us around and just, I guess, you know, another year trying to, to reshape the offensive line. I think that's probably what you should try and do. That's rough because it looks like Oakland's going to be getting Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and Melvin Ingram. Luckily, the Chiefs don't have a dominant edge rusher. Like, D Ford's solid, and Houston's been on the downward trend. But, yeah. man, that's a, that's a rough division to not be good at tackle. Yeah. I mean, the defensive line, just it's going to get better every year, and the offensive line is just not keeping up. I mean, there's already such a huge disparity between the two, and I think it's just extending and getting bigger as, you know, as each year goes by. So. This draft class is going to make it happen even more. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have a quick question about just the – you had mentioned Bulls going to the right kind of coaching staff. What do you think of the Broncos' new coaching staff with having two offensive line coaches, one for interior, one for the tackles? What, what do you think of them and their pairing and what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think – pretty decent I guess I mean I like what I've seen with McGovern you know that's one guy that I've seen where you know you, you saw but even though they you know they benched him everything it's kind of weird but in terms of seeing a guy develop you know and get better I thought McGovern was somebody you can qualify you know in that category but aside from that it's hard to really say in year one you know you need four five six seven eight years before you really start judging these guys I mean so and I'm not really familiar with the staff before they got here, you know, to look at their history of development. Um, they're, you know, Sean Kugler is a guy that, you know, he developed, you know, Will Hernandez, you know, at, uh, at UTEP, I believe. So Kugler was a guy that I was really intrigued with because of what he did with Hernandez, you know, which was really, really impressive. And, you know, I thought the interior this year before the injuries and, you know, the, the you know, the changes they made was the strength of the unit, um, especially in run blocking. So I think Kugler's a guy who's intriguing to me as one of those coaches who has a lot of value to the unit. But, you know, I can't really speak to the tackles coach because um, I'm not familiar and because the tackles haven't played that well. Um, so maybe not so great there. The idea of two offensive line coaches, I think, you know, in theory is a good idea because – you know, of course, there's not a lot of time in the off season to, you know, work on the technical side of the game, you know, the, the nuances. So to have two guys, you know, maximize the little time that you do and have it more specialized, I think that makes sense. So it's, it's an intriguing setup what they've done. And I'd like to see it, you know, stay intact for a couple of years, but who knows? Because, you know, this coaching staff may or may not be here. So it's hard with that turnover. That's why guys like Callahan, Munchak, Skarnakia, Cromer. I mean, these guys have, you know, track records that you can look at of guys, you know, getting better or playing their best under their tutelage. So, you know, we just don't really have that yet with these guys, I don't think. All right. And before we get out of here, since we're, you know, running a little long, I know you said you haven't done too much work on the 2019 draft as far as offensive line goes, but if you have done anything, I know you said Jonah Williams, if there's anybody else that you'd like to give a little spiel on your early thoughts really haven't done a lot on the draft at all. I, I typically don't until December at the earliest, but usually like January, February. Uh, just I'm so, you know, entrenched in offensive line play right now. It's like, you know, that's in defensive line play and just NFL, you know, film that I just don't have any time because I'm, I'm, I really watch every game every week in, you know, the NFL and I try to watch as many players as I can in units. So, just not enough time, um, but Jonah Williams is a guy. I thought he was the best tackle in football last year. 
I thought, you know, and I, I think, of course, he's the best tackle in football this year. So for a guy to be the best tackle in the college game, you know, in two years in a row and not even be draft eligible until this year and with another year of eligibility left, I think he's special. And the reason why I think he's special is not so much the physical traits. I don't think he's, you know, Trent Williams or anything, but technically I think he is very, very special. So to have a guy as technically sound as he is, you know, just with his pass sets, um, getting to his spot, hitting his set points, hand usage is just masterful. So a guy like that, I think, is a no-brainer. I mean, every team in the league with a tackle opening, I think, should want him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Jonah Williams fan. But aside from that, I, I just don't have a lot of other things to say about offensive linemen yet. And I know this defensive line class is loaded, so um, I'm going to be really intrigued to – to you know, really kind of dive into these guys. I just haven't yet. Well, last thing about Jonah Williams here: a lot of people that, at least I've spoken with, have, think that he might be a guy that's a candidate to move inside, just due to lack of. I guess they're worried about length and athleticism on that edge. I mean, technique obviously can overcome that. We've seen that with uh, Ramcheck versus Bulls. But is that something that you think is a possibility with him, or is that just NFL getting ahead of itself? Gosh, I hope not. I mean, I just – that doesn't make any sense to me because I think that he could be very good at tackle. And also, if you're looking at NFL tackle play in the NFL right now, there is a huge need for tackle play right now. There's yeah. there's nowhere near even what – I mean, there's not 32 total quality starting tackles in the world right now, left and right tackle combined. Um, I I would say there's probably quite a bit less than that. So, you know, if you have a guy that's, you know, very, very good in the SEC for, you know, three years in a row, the day he stepped on the field as a true freshman, was very good at right tackle, played left tackle last year and left tackle this year, and is very good, I I don't see how you could possibly move him to guard, especially considering where the NFLs are right now. I mean, I think he could step in day one and be better than half the tackles in the league. So, you know, not that he's going to be Trent Williams, Tyron Smith, but I think he could be, you know, a very good player. All right, everyone. Well, that's Brandon Thorne. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Veteran Scout. So you're a busy guy. You got more football to watch. So glad we could get you on here. And hopefully this won't be the last time. Yeah, hopefully not. Thanks, guys, for letting me come on here and talk. And it was a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. And happy Veterans Day to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, well, that was a great interview by Brandon Thorne, and if you guys enjoyed that, you got to think about becoming a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Mile High Huddle's approach to covering the Broncos isn't just about reporting the news, although we do pride ourselves on being able to relay you all the breaking news on the Broncos as is happening in real time. But what we like to focus on is breaking down the Broncos from an in-depth perspective, from all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive on player evaluations, and everybody's going to be turning their focus soon to the NFL draft. We save our best and most in-depth content for our premium members, the VIP subscribers. To become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written analysis and VIP insider forums, just click on the green banner on the top of the website. Click the monthly or annual option and you'll be locked in. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider information we pick up along the way. We work hard to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask you for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. Pull the trigger and you have my word, you will not be disappointed. All right, Carl. Well, we you know we had that big interview there, and we already talked about the last game, but we had some questions on Twitter that you you called out for the masses. So I'm going to let you lead this section. All right. Well, we had Atwater for a Hall of Fame, 
he was wanting us uh, and and like I said, you said these are just questions for during the the bye week when you don't have a game. Just kind of think of the future of this team, which that's what we're about building the Broncos. Uh, he wants us to highlight some young players that should get more playing time going forward and evaluate what they have shown on tape so far. I, I think obviously you're you're going to see the wide receiver core is is a big area where the Broncos are going to do a lot of evaluating. Uh, obviously, trading DT away that was a big part of it. Was they wanted to see these youngsters get their chance. So hopefully, we're going to see some some Tim Patrick. We're going to see uh, Hamilton. Oh Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton is another one that I think is going to get a lot of playing time once he gets healthy. And I'm very, very excited to see him on the field. You know how much I love Hamilton and it's a great so, musical. Do what? It's a great musical. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so th- that, that would be one place. I think you're going to see uh, your, your Iowa boy get a lot more time at the, at the linebacker spot as well. And I would say Yidem at the cornerback spot should probably get some more playing time. He needs time on the field. He's got to work on his ability to turn around, see where the ball's coming, but he's going to get picked on. I mean, that's just part of it, but what cornerback's not getting picked on, not named Chris Harris right now. So I guess you can't really do too much worse than what's already been shown on the field so far. And you had talked about in our interview about the idea of getting some of these youngsters on the offensive line in there and which will, it's going to lead to some problems. I mean, that's just going to be part of it. Offensive line, a big part of it is communication. So you put in some youngsters and kind of mix things up. It's going to lead to some miscommunications. But again, this is about evaluation. This isn't about trying to make the playoffs at this time. The the odds of the Broncos making the playoffs with their schedule that's still left and just the chaos that's kind of going on with this team, it's slim to none. And so a few miscommunications is worth getting the opportunity to see which players are worth moving forward with and which ones it's time to just go ahead and cut bait. Yeah. I can't disagree. Pretty much any player that you don't foresee being here next season that you have younger options behind them probably should look that way. So that means maybe even moving on from a guy like Tremaine Brock or Adam Jones, who won the year deals of minimum issues. If you do actually release them, create space. You know, get not only create space in the roster, but create playing time. Let's get Isaac Yadam out there. And also, let's bring up Brendan Langley. I mean, he's probably going to be a guy that gets a shot again next season. Well, you know what? He's He was green. Toss him out there to the Wolves. And if he stinks, you already have some film to analyze for next season. You have a better idea rather than holding out hope for a guy that's not going to have it. And also, getting them playing time, I mean, that gives them a, a heads up, a, a false start, if you will, on the the development for next season. So give them something to work on some tape to analyze and areas that they can see, okay, well I got my toes wet and now I know what I need to work on. And hopefully I'll be better by the time OTAs and everything roll around. So that applies for Adam. And that also applies for Brendan Langley, in my opinion. And so getting, getting rid of a guy like Adam Jones, Tremaine Brock, whether you're holding them, releasing them or keeping them on the depth chart, I feel like you need to get those young guys playing there. Same can be said, however, not releasing, but I think I would consider putting Brandon Marshall and Darian Stewart on injured reserve. They're young guys on the off-ball linebacker spot. You know, Josie Jewell, A.J. Johnson, Keyshawn Beria, that could, you know, be in line for some playing time. And the Broncos defense probably is going to be worse for that kind of move. But at the same time, it's not about this season and winning this game. It's about getting those guys experience, developing them, and having a better idea of evaluating them going into the offseason and next season. And the same can be said about safety. you got Sua Cravens coming back, who is probably going to be getting – 
more and more playing time going forward. But Darian Stewart, I, I highly doubt is going to be here next year. There's talk that he may retire even. And don't get Demonte Thomas out there. He flashed in preseason. Haven't really seen too much of him this year, but I feel like he's somebody that you would be wise to get more and more reps just to see what he has. You know, you got to evaluate the youth there. And that's, I mean, honestly, it's mostly on the defensive side of specifically in the back seven that I see that happening. Also, Demarcus Walker should be getting more reps. Although again, you know, go look at Eric Trickle's film piece if you haven't yet. And that's kind of, I'm Eric and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to Walker, but still, I think it's time to, evaluate 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 develop grow and think about not only 2019 but 2020 because this team is not competing this season and odds are next season still going to be a development season as well because it's probably going to be a new coaching staff right well tim lucas he wanted to know how the broncos can become a winning team again who are some head coaching candidates uh and quarterback options and so on well, let's start with the, the head coaching candidates, just some names that, that we've heard. We've heard three main names, and uh, the first is actually a guy, he's, he's a head coach right now for the Baltimore Ravens, but there's a good chance that they are mutually going to decide to move on. That's John Harbaugh, and there's a lot of connections to the Broncos. You got Gary Kubiak, who used to be his offensive coordinator back in, was it 2014? Uh, yes, it would have been 2014 because it was a year yep. before Kubiak came on. Yep. So, obviously, yeah, 2015, then we won the Super Bowl. So yep. it had to be 2014. But that, that's a big name that's being thrown out there, that there's mutual interest from the Broncos and from John Harbaugh that, that it would Supposedly. be a good fit. Supposedly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of time left. Maybe Baltimore goes on a run because they do have a good team there. They have some decent players there, at least. Um, so we'll have to see on that one. Matt Campbell. Mm. And this is a name that not many people are probably going to know. And some people are going to be like, what, really? This is a guy. Uh, He is the head coach for Iowa State. Now, when you're thinking football, and especially if you're listening to this podcast and you hear us talk about Iowa football, we don't talk about Iowa State a whole lot. But he has helped turn that program around and make have them go from a laughingstock to taking down some top teams. And and the Big 12 has a lot of Oklahoma last year and took down Baker Mayfield. Yeah, Norman. and you know how big on this podcast we've been of Baker Mayfield before the draft. So uh, there's there's a lot of good things going on there. He's taken a lot of kind of like your University of Iowa team. You take a lot of two and three star, one star players and have them compete against some very, very top programs in, in the country and win some big games that most people wouldn't see. And so he's very good at development. He's very well liked. He's very well respected. And uh, there's just if you're looking at the college ranks, I'm guessing that would be on the Broncos short list of, of guys that the, the Broncos would really want to talk to. And I have heard that teams and some people have reached out to Lincoln Riley and it does not sound like he's going to be coming out. So you can ixnay that one. There you go. Listening. So, yeah. The other one that I would like to highlight, I mean, obviously people, Jim Bob Cooter is an interesting name. He has a connection with the Broncos. He was a quarterback coach here before, but he's had some up and downs, and I don't think he's on the Broncos shortlist. And then there's LaFleur with Tennessee, who honestly, Tennessee has not been that great this year offensively. Granted, they have issues elsewhere, but you know that's somebody that there is some interest for him, but I wouldn't be surprised if teams are a little bit hesitant to bring him in after struggling his first season at offensive coordinator because when you're behind Sean McVay, how much are you actually doing? You know, that's that's a valid question. So we'll see there. And then another one that's uh, John DeFlippo with the Vikings right now. And he's somebody that actually 
sounds like Baltimore is very interested in bringing in. So I'm not sure how much interest would be mutually there. I think the Broncos would make a call and maybe bring him in if they can, but I'm not sure if he's the guy. The other name that has been linked with the Broncos and probably the one that's the least flashy, you know, got Harbaugh, who's a Super Bowl winning coach, Campbell, who's an up and coming young guy who's built programs. I mean, he was a great coach at Mount Union. He won some MAC championships with Cream Hunt, actually, at Toledo. And he's turned around Iowa State. Man, that's one of the worst programs to have to coach in the league as far as recruiting and bringing in talent. And he's turned them around really quick and made them compete. I mean, they're ranked, I think, 23 right now in the college football playoff rankings. So that's the other one. But the last guy, Jim Schwartz, probably the least flashy of the group, but he's had he had success in Detroit, you know, especially in Aaron Rodgers' heyday. And the Vikings weren't bad there either. So he's one of the very few who's actually succeeded in Detroit. He had a lot of years of, you know, above 500 ball and they had plenty of issues on defense, but he's been successful as a defensive coordinator now. And one thing I love about him, not only is that he's got experience already, but he's a guy who believes in pass rush and getting after the quarterback. We've seen that with him wherever he's been, but especially with Philadelphia since he's been there. So he's one of the better renowned defensive coordinators in football right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely open to it, but out of all these guys, I'm, I'm banking on Harbaugh. I know that some people are kind of underwhelmed by Harbaugh in regards to his success, but I think he's been a guy who's been hamstrung by Joe Flacco and what's been some really underwhelming draft classes by Ozzie Newsom over the last three-ish seasons. And also when you're in a division that has a consistently solid team with a good defense in the Bengals and a team that has a Hall of Fame quarterback and Hall of Fame weapons around him as well in the Steelers, he's he's done pretty well for himself. So I think that that would be a a good get for the Broncos, especially when you're going moving on from a guy that didn't turn out to be the leader of men that he was made up to be in Vance Joseph. Well, there's no question that John Harbaugh is a, a leader of men. Right. I, I think just you were talking about Jim Schwartz. I think one of my biggest issues with hiring him is one of the, the bigger issues the Broncos have had this year is being undisciplined. Mm. And when he was with Detroit, that was one of the things that they were really known for was lots of penalties, lots of kind of, What's dirty. the word? Dirty. Yeah, there you go. Dirty things that they do. Well, yeah, that that doesn't help when you have him on your team. But it, it just there there is some concern there. Of, is that going to make that all the much worse? Where Harbaugh, I feel like if he comes in, he's going to clean up a lot of those kind of things. He's always had very smart teams, very prepared teams that seem to be in about every single game. And I, I don't know. I, I just he's definitely top of my choice. I, I don't think he's going to be this like all of a sudden take the Broncos to he's not going to be Bill Belichick, obviously, because there's only one Bill Belichick, but I think he's going to definitely bring a lot of consistency to the Broncos and, and have them competitive year in year out. Yep. I'm with you. And then as far as quarterbacks, we'll probably save that a little bit more, but we'll touch on it quick here. The free agent possibilities, Joe Flacco, which I mean, again, underwhelming, but better than case Keenum, Uh, Ryan Tannehill, Meh. And then Jameis Winston, maybe is another guy. All of them probably upgrades to Case Keenum, but not to the point where you're eating Case Keenum's contract as well as paying them what they're probably going to get. So meh. And then the quarterback draft class, we still got a bit to go as far as evaluation, but it does not look like a great class. At least round one, Justin Herbert's been, after his great performances against Stanford and Cal, he's not lived up to that yet. He still has amazing tools, great accuracy down the field, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, he's not the same level player that Darnold, Rosen, or Mayfield were coming out. And then after that, it's I, I'm not touching pretty much anybody with a round one grade. I could see somebody trading up to the back end of the first round to get a guy just because you can get that fifth-year option then. But Will Greer, Drew Locke, 
Daniel Jones. I just don't think any of them are first round quarterbacks as far as what I'm looking for in evaluating all of them have mechanical flaws or pressure flaws or the tool flaws, et cetera, et cetera. So I could see the Broncos looking day two to bring in a guy that will fight with Keenum and then still gives the Broncos a chance to evaluate the position again, round one in 2020. And honestly, that's, I think that's what I would be looking to do if I were them based on their right. situation. But if I had to bet, I think you're probably, you probably got case Keenum starting again next year. Right. And that's, I, I talked to somebody about this earlier, a couple weeks ago, actually. And they're saying, look at some of the teams around the league. Uh, the, the Bengals were one that they went AJ green in the first and then went Andy uh, in the second. You look at the the Raiders going Mac in the first then Carr in the second and so it's not unheard of to decide to do that and be able to find a successful quarterback and and be able to be successful in this league. I just don't think you're going to find that complete all-star, but it's enough to give you at least a little bit of hope. And And I don't mind if the Broncos throw a second round or third round pick at a guy this year and then go first round the next year. Honestly, it's not it's not a bad way to do it, but it can keep your quarterback position cheap. Mm-hmm. And allows you to really build around those kind of players. It gives you guys that can compete against each other. It gives you trade pieces. Look at the uh, the Patriots and what they've been able to do with their quarterbacks and, and finding some trade pieces. And and uh, you look at the uh, I think the 49ers did that too with Alex Smith, and then having obviously Kaepernick and moving on from Alex Smith. And and so there, there's there's ways to go about this. And, and to me, you, you can never throw enough pieces at the quarterback position. You, you go until you find your guy. Yeah. It just, it's too important to, to ignore. And like you, you keep harping on, if you can find your quarterback on a rookie deal, the, the sky is the limit of what you can do with your team. I agree. But at the same time, I hate to be the, the counterpoint in this because that was quarterback pick five was my, Gosh, I went to bed saying that every night, I think. But this it's it's equally important to not take the wrong quarterback and to look no farther than what the Broncos did with Paxton Lynch. You know, that was an issue that set the franchise back. But yeah, the example that I really like to point out is the 2011 draft, which had the likes of Von Miller, Marcel Darius, Cam Newton, Patrick Peterson, J.J. Watt, Ryan Kerrigan. I mean, just, just so much talent in that 2011 class. And then you have the teams that took quarterbacks after Cam Newton in the Vikings, the Jags, and the Titans, who took Christian Ponder, Blaine Gabbert, and Jake Locker. So while it is important, you got to take that shot at the quarterback, and until you got him, you go after him. But it's just as important to make sure that you are not taking the quarterback just to take quarterback. It has to be somebody that you believe in. So Right. It's, and that's, that's, and that's where, problem. like I said, for me, pairing up a little bit, say you go a just incredible type talent and Quinn and Williams in the first, just cause I mean, we're going to harp on this guy and uh, you, I think you and I are both going to try to wish that into existence already there. <laughs> <laughs> and then you take a guy like Daniel Jones in the second, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you're not making that huge of a commitment and, and it being a second or third round pick. And you look at some of the second and third round picks the Broncos have made and you're like, yeah, it's worth it anyway, just to take a chance that maybe this guy can turn into something. Cause he is a smart kid. He's been raised in a very pro-ready system, all those kind of things. But then you get that just incredible talent in Quinn and Williams there in the first that you know there is very, very good chance this guy's going to turn into a star. And, Pass rush synergy. 
Right, exactly. And then you got Von Miller and and Bradley Chubb on the outside. I, I'm sorry, I'm drooling as I'm talking. I'm going to short out my my microphone here pretty soon. But it's just, yeah, that, that's kind of more of the way because then that next quarterback draft class definitely looks a lot better than the one that's coming up unless you find your guy. I mean, if, if Herbert's there and, and the Broncos feel like they have the coaches that can really build him into something because he has a high ceiling, he has a good arm, He's a smart guy from what I understand. He can make all the throws. He has moments of looking brilliant, fitting throws into windows that you don't see a lot of other quarterbacks trying in the college game. So there's a lot of promise there. And again, if you had the right coach, that's where everything boils down to. You look at Jared Goff. Where do you think he would be if he still had uh, seven and nine? What was his name? Mr. Eight and eight. Yeah. As his coach. Yeah, Jeff Fisher. There you go. If he was still the head coach there, do you think Jared Goff is a MVP kind of caliber quarterback like he is right now? No, sir. No. <laughs> so coaching matters uh, I, more so in, in football than probably any other th- of the major sports. Yeah. Do you think say. the Warriors even need Kerr? Like he's fun and he gives good quotes and everything, but like I feel like that team could probably run itself. <laughs> they could. Yeah. So. All right. Well, probably last question here. Um, Kevin Crumley, who's a great follower and always, you know, responds to us and tweets with us. He asks us to interpret Elway's actions, whether he will rebuild as many believe he should versus continue to retool. Um, I think that this team is probably just, especially because this rookie class that they just had and stinking again, it's probably a team that's going to think competing 2020, 2021. They'll try to turn it around next year, maybe, you know, get 500, but this team is definitely trending down right now. Again, it looks like it's going to, they're going to lose their back to back non losing season streak, which is the best in American professional sports, unfortunately. So I'm thinking that this is probably going to be a, a rebuild, but maybe that's just my, my own thoughts leaking into what I think they should do is what they will do. But I don't think it's, I don't really think there's a quick fix here. I mean, they already paid Case Keenum decent money. He's going to be, he'd be hard to get rid of next season. And because of that, it's probably more of a, a one to two season, but they need to show progress. They need to stack young talent. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. I, I would say by Elway's actions, I mean, getting rid of the longest tenured player in DT mid season mm-hmm. to give younger players their, their opportunity. I'd say he's, he's realizing this is more of a rebuild. And uh, just some of his words as well, where he's not talking about the uh, Super Bowl or bust kind of mentality. He's just kind of saying more, well, we're going to hold hold the course now and see what we can do moving forward. I, I feel like that's a very big change in the way that he's viewing this season compared to past seasons. And so there's no longer just that, let's stick a Band-Aid on it and see what happens. It's, hey, we're going to evaluate Everybody on this team, coaches, person, uh, you know, people in the in the manager positions, all those kind of things, and players, and and go from there. I, I do think he'll be aggressive if he likes a quarterback in this upcoming draft. And all I I think the big thing is going to be Elway, Kubiak, and the others all agreeing on one guy. And if they all can agree on one guy, then they're going to go after him. Otherwise, I think they're probably going to hold true to their board and just try to add more talent, like you said, stack a good draft on top of a good draft. This last draft was the best draft that Elway has ever had. Man, I, he did get Von Miller in one of his drafts. I know, but beyond Von Miller. 
Franklin was Franklin was decent. The best depth draft, but like we said, if you can get a Hall of Fame player in a class, that kind of tilts it. Like we talked about with the Chiefs getting Patrick Mahomes. I would just argue because we know about Von Miller already. We don't know yet enough about this class to make that claim. That's a good point. That's a good point. Sorry to be contrarian. It's just like (laughs) that 2011 class when he hit Von Miller is, I mean, that changed the franchise. It did. It did. But this is a class that's looking very, very good. And one that you can really build off of, and and you got some some core pieces that you could maybe really build around. Yeah. And so if you can stack another good draft, like I said, you don't go out there and reach for a quarterback just because you know you need quarterback. Uh, you said it. That this is a maybe a two three year project to get this team back where you want it to be. And unfortunately, there's a lot of teams that try to take shortcuts and try to put a band aid on a. a huge gash and it's not working very well. And then they find themselves in cap hell and they continue to remain in that middle class area that nobody wants to be in that six and 10 to, to eight and eight area. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like always making some different moves that he's not made in the past. Yeah. Uh, well, it's from what we know, Vance Joseph's a dead man walking right now. So it's, it's either way, it's going to be a transition. So it'll be interesting to watch that, but yeah, we'll, we will see. I'm, I'm I, as big as I was on quarterback last year with the fifth overall pick. I am pretty darn concerned about reaching on the wrong quarterback this year. I feel like if the guy's not there, don't force it. So that's maybe, maybe I am, uh, uh, maybe I'm just a little bit concerned. <laughs> All right. Well, last bit here, I actually asked a poll on Twitter about three hours ago. And I actually have a pretty good response right here, over 130 votes. And the question is, what would be the most fun for the Broncos to draft round one, assuming non-quarterback? And the quest, the categories are cornerback opposite Chris Harris Jr., uh, interior defensive line between Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, a three-down linebacker to replace Brandon Marshall, or an offensive tackle slash offensive guard slash offensive line, three exclamation points, because yeah, I was expecting that one to get a fair amount of votes. And... Before we get into the the numbers right now, Carl, I want to. I'm curious, what would you say if you had to rank those four? What would you say? So I, I did vote on your poll. Oh, you did. Okay, I had one of the 123 votes that you got. Okay, and I went inside defensive line because I love pass rush. And again, my my problem is I've been watching Ed Oliver and Quinnen Williams the last two days, and I don't even want to watch anybody else because they're just so explosive. It, it just the the thought of them being on the Broncos and getting after the quarterback with Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. I just think about this past game with Houston and having Clowney and J.J. Watt and Marcellus and and just who who's going to block all these guys. And uh, you look at the AFC West with now Patrick Mahomes, and you get an athletic guy up the middle. Oh, my gosh. I, I feel like you could actually compete with, with Patrick Mahomes. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I, I put that as my number one. Then I would probably go, I'd probably go offensive tackle, offensive guard number two, just because it's that position that it seems so hard to find top talent. And it's not just the Broncos. Don't sit here and say Elway can't draft offensive line because it's every team in the league is is absolutely trying to find offensive line talent. But and then third, I'd go with cornerback opposite of CHJ, and finally three down linebacker to replace Brandon Marshall. I feel like all these are options. Obviously, it depends on the type of player, where the Broncos pick, et cetera. But the way it's trending right now with 123 votes, I'm going to leave it open just to see where it goes. But right now, cornerback opposite CHJ, 
is number one with 33% of the votes. Then it's really close. I mean, the top three are all really close. After that, it's interior defensive line between Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. After that, it's offensive line at 25%. Uh, the interior pass rush was 29 And then all the way down at 13% is the three-down linebacker after Brandon Marshall. So maybe that says that people are higher on Todd Davis and Josie Jewell going forward than I thought they were. But yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Obviously, quarterback, I would say the biggest needs on this team, looking at the roster, is probably cornerback, quarterback, and offensive tackle. But man, getting the way this class is shaping up with an interior pass rusher, I mean, you, you talked about Ida Oliver and Quinnen Williams, but also Raquan Davis on Alabama is six foot seven, five technique, uh, can kick into three technique monster. And then Jeffrey Simmons is also a gosh damn goon. So there's a lot, there's a lot of really talented interior pass rushers. Uh, so it depends on how the board falls, but I think it's a, it's a good spread. And it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know, or a positive and a negative because the Broncos have so many needs that they can go so many different directions and just let the board fall as it may. They don't need to force anything in the draft, but the Broncos have a lot of needs. So, you know, we'll see which way it goes. But you have anything else uh, draft-wise before we get out of here or building the team-wise? No, I think that was, that was a good show. I really loved having Brandon Thorne on here and getting to talk a little offensive line, defensive line, all that kind of fun stuff. And um, I'm I'm a little sad that it's bye week, so we don't get to see any Broncos this week, but hopefully they get healthy and we get to see some of these young, talented players get their chance on the field and, and see what the Broncos have for the future. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this longer episode with thanks to the Brandon Thorne interview, which we wouldn't have it any other way. It's the bye week. Hopefully this can get you guys through a Broncos football week. Maybe some of you need a Broncos football week after the way they've been playing this year. But that's going to wrap up this ep- week's episode of Building the Broncos. You can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Demler MHH and myself at Nick Kendall MHH. Also make sure you head over to Mile High Huddle, a new affiliate of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital to find ours on our co-writers articles and all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and comment. Your support can help us continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives each and every week. We aren't just here to bring you the news, but an in-depth analysis from game planning, team building, the draft, free agency, and 365 days of covering the Denver Broncos. You can follow the Building the Broncos podcast and all our other great audio content by subscribing to the Huddle Up podcast on iTunes and for Android users Stitcher, as well as check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at my Huddle and at BTB Football Pod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with you fellow Bronco fans. For Carl Dumbler and Brandon Thorne, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of Building the Broncos. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos! You've been listening to Building the Broncos. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.